Hi, I'm Charlie Grimes, a Christian pastor and podcaster with a daily dose of inspiration from the most profound set of writings in history. That's right, the Holy Bible. What if we were to just take it in very small bite-sized pieces, like one or two verses every day? We'll read it, let it sink in with some thoughts from my friend and colleague, Pastor Phil Ware, and then end our time with a short prayer for our day. Just like the ocean is made up of just little droplets, you can strengthen your faith with daily consistency. Join us every day for this dose of audio wisdom and inspiration. You can also read along with us on the verseoftheday.com website. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13, we read, You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Join me today on this journey to seek God one small step at a time. Hey, it's Charlie, and you're listening to the Encouragers United Podcast. So John chapter 12, simply, I'm going to read it for us here, is a wonderful, wonderful, succinct, uh, pretty short record of the triumphal entry of Jesus. So let's read it together. If you have it, to, uh, have it with me, John chapter 12, verse 12. Okay, so 12, 12. Here we go. The next day, the large crowd that had come to feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey, and he sat on it, just as it is written. Fear not, O daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, when they remembered that these things, they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. And the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. You know, it's a really familiar passage. So I just want to do some investigative reporting this morning and go through each of the characters and each of the incidents as we can read this in this really great piece of scripture. This is one of the disciples, remember, the Apostle John, who writes this record. Who was it that celebrated Jesus? Who were these people? Well, in verse 12, you read that it was a great crowd. It was a great crowd, apparently coming from all over the place, right? Country people, city folk, people from other countries, people of different races, perhaps people speaking different languages. Commentators will tell you that not so many people came from the temple, though. Only a few spies and scoffers. What is this rabble-rouser up to now? Not so many people from the temple or the religious establishment were there that day. And if they were there, they probably didn't participate, did they? Christ was honored more by these humble, common people, simple people, rather than by the established religious leaders. It seems in this day, the closer you are to the temple, 
the farther you may be away from Jesus. And may that not be the case of us today, right? We as leaders, especially in the church, we humble ourselves and we would never, ever want to find ourselves on the outside looking in of this celebration of Jesus. Well, how about another question? When did they celebrate him? When and how did this all happen? In verse 12, we read that when they heard that he was coming to the feast, you see, they were there for the Passover feast in Jerusalem. Commentators and Bible scholars will tell you that perhaps a million people would show up at Israel to commemorate this yearly cycle, this yearly celebration of the Passover. If you remember the Passover from Exodus, the Passover feast was this celebration of God giving the Israelites freedom from their captivity while they were slaves in Egypt. And that fateful night, the 10 plagues, the 10th plague that came, right? A blemish, unblemished lamb would be selected from the herd, sacrificed in worship, and the blood of that lamb would be spread on the doorposts of this household. And that angel that night that came over this area would pass over their house when he observed the blood of that sacrifice. So they had come every year to Jerusalem, the capital city, to celebrate this Passover feast. Well, Jesus was coming to the Passover feast as well. You, you can read down in, in there's a hint of, of it in verse 18 as well. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this great sign several days earlier in Bethany. He raised Lazarus from the dead, and they were just talking all about it. There's no way to stop people from talking about this great and massive miracle that happened at Bethany. Amen? We all have that testimony of Jesus working in our lives as well, and we ought go everywhere we can and never stop talking about it. That's a very powerful part of this story. He had called Lazarus out of the tomb, and people witnessed it. They saw it. And they ran and said, this is the most promised Messiah. And they just kept talking and talking and talking. And it was like wildfire amongst all of these people. This was not to be just any Passover lamb, though, was it? This was going to be a Passover feast like none other. In fact, some would, Rick, some would suggest that it was the Passover feast to end all Passover feasts. Jesus coming as the Lamb of God to be sacrificed. You know, let's look at how they how they worshiped him, how they celebrated him, right? They used palm branches. Scripture says palm branches. They just ripped them right off the trees, probably, and they started waving them. But you may not know that actually the palm tree, the palm branches, represented a symbol of triumph and victory in those days. They still do today. I think it's neat that we can call these the palms of our hands, the palms of our hands, we raise them in victory and in worship to God every chance we get. They sang songs. They were shouting and cheering and, and, and welcoming him. They used this phrase, and we sang it today several times, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Does anybody remember? I think I put it on the slide. It means, please save us. Save us now, some translations say. Salvation belongs to our God, our, our King. He's come, free us, Hosanna! What a great celebration. They welcomed him into Jerusalem, their capital city. They affirmed him as their king, and they were stating that he was the promised Messiah. That's a powerful statement. 
especially in these days. And we're going to get to the responses here, but just think about that. How could he not be the king and the promised Messiah? He raised Lazarus from the dead. He'd done these miracles throughout his three-year ministry right in front of our eyes. Let's study some responses now. How did, how did Jesus, first and foremost, how did Jesus respond to all this? Well, my observation is that he fulfilled prophecy. He rode in on a young donkey. He polarized all the people. They were shouting, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's from Psalm 118, verse 26. We bless you from the house of the Lord. We bless you, Lord. Do we really do that on a, on a weekly basis here? I want you to think about your heart of hearts and your common worship every week as we experience it together here. They were welcoming him into their hearts and into their lives. And he fulfilled prophecy. A great part of verse 15 here. You can read that with me back. It says, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. The rest of that passage in Zechariah, it's actually Zechariah 9, 9 and 10. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. It's a powerful prophecy. Is this really happening? Is this really him? Well, he stated it. Earlier in his, in his ministry in Matthew, we read that he said these words. It was Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth have passed away, not one iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Powerful statement from Jesus saying, no, 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 I didn't come to undermine the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them. I am. I am, he says. And you know what? When he does this, he creates this polarizing litmus test for our faith, doesn't he? Because he didn't ride in like they thought he should ride in. They had an expectation for Jesus. You see, they thought, Matt, that he should be like Joshua was, right? Joshua riding in on this powerful white steed to circle the city of Jericho and shout and the walls will surely fall. And taking city after territory, after town, after town in conquering the Canaan land because of God's great promise to us. That's the Messiah that we're looking for. But alas, he rides in on a little donkey, the colt. Meek and mild. This guy's kind of cute, isn't he? Not imposing, not intimidating. There's nothing conquering about this little woolly fellow. But Jesus chose to ride in as an approachable and meek and mild, kind and compassionate king. He was approachable and they touched him and they cheered for him. He was kind he was understanding, and he loved them deeply as he rode into town, knowing full well what was ahead of him. Powerful, powerful picture. You know, do we have an expectation for Jesus? Do we have some preconceived notion about how he should do what he's supposed to do? How he would act or how he should treat me or how he will accomplish his plans in the world? I'll admit sometimes I do. And much like the other disciples, John is writing here in verse 16, he says, how did the disciples respond to all of this? 
Well, as usual, they participated. Yeehaw! That's our guy! But they really didn't quite understand, did they? Verse 16 is, is so good. It says, His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. This is one of those apostles writing these words. It's his, ad, it's his admission. I didn't, I didn't understand any of what was going on. But boy, after the story plays out, it all fell into place, didn't it? So yeah, we participated, but we didn't really understand what was really going on. And how many times, brother and sister, do we not truly understand? But you know what? I'll, I'll give you this. Keep coming and keep participating. And you may not understand how God is doing what he's doing, but in time, he'll be gracious with you as he was with the disciples over and over again. God is patient and kind with us, and he, he understands that understanding comes through time. How many times have I watched God work something out in my life? I worshiped him and I praised him, but I didn't understand exactly how this was going to go. But on the back end of it, oh my goodness, what a powerful, powerful experience that is to fully understand what Jesus is doing. Let's keep moving here. How did, the, how did the Pharisees respond? How did those religious leaders happen to see this whole thing? Well, some of them Kent alluded to earlier. He said, hey, hey, calm down here a little bit. Just calm down. What in the world? This is, uh, you know, this is a little uh, irreverent, isn't it? The Pharisees are responding. And in verses, uh, it's actually just verse 19. Go to that with me there. The Pharisees said to one another, they started talking about it. Oh, do you see? You're gaining nothing. And they may have participated, but they were scoffing. They were learning some very vital truths, weren't they? Number one is that resistance to the king is really absolutely futile. That's what they were doing. They were throwing their hands up. So this rabble rouser from Nazarene is just gaining and gaining and gaining. And we are gaining nothing. Like it was a competition of some sort. Hmm. And instead of bowing in reverent and humble adoration to the Messiah that had come, the promised king, it only stiffened their backbone even more to hatred and to want to destroy him, which as you study this week, they did. And the second truth that they're really learning is that, yes, sir, indeed, the whole world will be following after Jesus because of his great love for us and his care and the salvation that he brings. The whole world's going after him. I can just imagine that conversation. You know, we read in Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. It reminded me of this. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That plays out today, folks, right? That plays really well out today. We have to realize that this truth still holds ground. It still holds water. And that the whole world will indeed bow and worship him one way or another. And I don't know about you, but I think I will do it on his side, not against him. This marvelous story actually mirrors how we ought worship today, right? It mirrors how we worship today. A great multitude of common people from all walks of life coming together at an appointed time to celebrate and welcome Jesus into our midst to passionately sing and cheer and to clap our hands and to smile and perhaps not understand exactly what's going on. 
but cheering him nonetheless as our approachable and mild king who loves us, forgives us. We celebrate him each week. Every time we get together, we gather to welcome our king. We are his body. We are his temple. We welcome him here every chance we get. He's patient. He's kind. He's loving. You know what? There's enemies to that kingdom today even. We fight that battle every day, don't we? But let me build your faith. Trust me, folks. They know the truth. That resistance to King Jesus is really futile, and they're gaining nothing. And they are observing every day as we tell our story and sing our songs and live our lives in Jesus' glory, that every knee is going to bow, and every tongue is going to confess, and that the whole world, yes, will be going after Jesus to the glory of God the Father. But I want to show you a powerful verse that just blew me away this week. Because this story actually mirrors the future. And what we will experience, the great multitude from every nation that's gathered. And you know what? Our future worship was described by this same apostle, Apostle John. And he wrote the book of Revelation. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 7. <laughs> it's just, I about fell out of my chair this week when I'm preparing. Start with me in verse number 9. Chapter 7, verse 9. Watch this. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing, and glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Jesus was and he is, and he will be worthy of all of our praise. What, what was the problem again, right? What was the problem again? Because I'm going to join all of creation now, right? Why wait until then? I'm going to start that business now. Stand up with me here. I want to just sing this little chorus. It goes like this. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead, and He is Lord. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. All past and present and future worship belongs to Jesus. And no one, no matter how hard they try, will ever escape that truth.
Hi, I'm Heather Erb, and I host the Shine.fm MomCast. It's specifically for moms. Couldn't we all just use a little extra bit of encouragement, maybe a little tidbit of wisdom, or just a different perspective on how moms are doing things these days? Definitely encourage you to check out the MomCast. You can search for us on Spotify, Apple Music, anywhere where you listen to your podcast. Just search for Shine.fm Podcasts.